Hey everyone, this is Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, coming at you from the Market Scale Home Studio. I'm joined today on the line by Nikki Boone, Vice President of Customer Success, and Kyle Freeman, Vice President of Client Relations, both with the Vixo team. We're going to be doing a little Vixo video stream here today. We're going to be chatting about the broader topic of how retailers are dealing with compounding issues during COVID-19. Specifically, we're going to try to intersect those issues with how customer perception ends up dictating facilities planning. So we're going to aim all of this at the grocery store owners, the facility managers, and professionals in the space. So Nikki, great to have you on. How are you doing today? I am doing great, Daniel. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. And Kyle, same to you. How's everything holding up over with you? It's going good. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Got to commend both of y'all's uh, work from home shots going on here. Love the Vixo background, the bison in the background. Got some good shots going on. Love it. All right, Nikki, Kyle, let's go ahead and jump in. Um, before we get to our questions, I want to give our audience a little context on the experience both of y'all bring. So Nikki is a strategic sales leader and P&L owner with extensive experience uh, with strategic alliances and transformation initiatives within Fortune companies, including JCI, Honeywell, and FedEx. And Kyle Freeman is a senior retail executive with experience in operations, visual merchandising, construction, supply chain, and facilities management. He's been leading these efforts across 4,000 sites for Fortune 500 brands such as GameStop. So this gives him a unique perspective on the factors that drive success. So Nikki, Kyle, let's start pretty generally with just uh, sort of an overview of the situation right now and uh, trying to track uh, last several years of change before we even uh, bring COVID into the conversation. So have you seen the essence of what brings customers to the retail store change at all over the last several years? Because the trends that retail leaders I'm talking to uh, point to are the ones that put an emphasis on engagement and experience as being the big things driving customers to the brick and mortar store and something that they're more consciously perceiving nowadays. Uh, is that what you're seeing as well? Or are there any other trends you want to highlight? Yeah, so I can, I can lead off Nikki. I think that uh, over the, the past few years, you know, brick and mortar has definitely been challenged. I think that uh, retailers as well as grocery have done a, a really good job at, at working to understand what's going to drive more traffic to their locations. Um, even the presence of digital ease of purchase, um, buy online pickup and store, uh, that diverse SKU base, and as well as the experiential um, piece of, of being in a brick and mortar store is, is a lot different than it used to be. Um, but I, I think that, uh, you know, whether it's customer experience, customer interactions, um, you know, all those things that go along with uh, just a, a really good in-store experience uh, that uh, retailers and grocery uh, have definitely been focused on. Sure. And, you know, Kyle, you used the exact word that I would have said, which is experiential. I think that so many people are doing their research online. They're figuring out what it is that they want, but they still want to touch and feel and see and experience the product. So that certainly has changed everything from how stores are reconfigured to product that's displayed and how they control that to every aspect really of the retail experience. Now, how have some of those trends shifted once we do bring COVID into the conversation as the in-person experience is canceled indefinitely or changed completely? Does this idea of experience and engagement play out the same way? 
So I'll, I'll jump in on that one, Kyle. I think that um, it has fundamentally changed it and it's still evolving. So, you know, you look at retailers who were formally showcasing and had pop-ups and had, you know, um, stores within a store so that people could come in and try things. All of that's out the window because they don't have that opportunity to gather in one place. So stores are now trying to figure out how do we take that same experience to the people that want to venture in the store and for those that don't, how do we make it extremely easy for them to not have to? So the things like curbside pickup and delivery and those types of things are very prevalent right now. Yeah, I would say that the, uh, just exactly what Nikki was saying, uh, the rhythms changed, right? I mean, they, they created a new rhythm in stores, that rhythm's completely turned upside down. Um, you know, they've got directional signage on, on floors uh, people are trying to find kind of where, how to navigate to the store effectively. Um, you know, they can't touch and feel like they, like, like Nikki made mention those experiential, ex, you know, types of experiences that are in those locations um, are, are off limits now. So they're really trying to figure out how to create a rich experience um, in a, in a very uh, restricted environment right now. I want to highlight some of the specific uh, experiences that y'all have had throughout your career and actively right now to try to ground some of these thoughts with uh, the larger fortune companies you've worked with. So Kyle, we'll start with you. Uh, you have Michaels as a client and have had to work with them on this very intersection of customer perception and facilities management. Can you give us a peek at some of the areas where Michaels uh, has strategized to create a better customer experience through their facilities, both pre and post COVID? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, uh, Michael's uh, facilities is, is top of mind uh, for that organization. Um, you know, they are, are definitely focused on the in-store experience, the comfortability. Um, you know, the stores are operational, that they're clean. And, you know, pre-COVID, you know, they, they're focused on, you know, some some in-store experience. They've got some live displays in stores uh, that customers can can try and feel. And, um, you know, post-COVID, it's been a little bit different. And even with the mask situation um, in a lot of these retailers, including Michael's, uh, they're challenged with comfortability, especially during the summer. Um, you know, masks make the store seem hotter and, you know, they're focused on uh, comfort touch points um, as well as, uh, you know, making sure that sanitation, cleanliness, all those things are top of mind. So uh, they've done a really good job at uh, investing in that. Nikki, you have your own big box retailer under your belt as well. Uh, Target is one of your uh, clients that you work with. So as you've worked with them in this area as well, what were some of the key issues with customer perception that they wanted to solve? Uh, and what were some of the solutions you helped guide them towards? So Target has actually done a phenomenal job of this. They um, were open throughout much of the, uh, you know, downtime, if you will, as an essential business. And so they took advantage of that to really document their experience and how they were solving it. And not only to share with their stores, but they also shared it with other companies. And what that did is it gave them a really solid framework so that as mandates were changing and new guidelines were coming down, they had the ability to very quickly disseminate that information and give their employees the comfort that they were safe. That in turn translates to the customers. The customers know that if the store has done these things, the employees feel safe in the environment, that their safety is, par is paramount. 
Um, it also established Target really as a thought leader in the industry. You know, they got out in front of it. They helped other companies to evolve. And that alone has certainly given them credibility when it relates to customers being comfortable and willing to come into their stores. Did a really nice job of it. Mm. So obviously these are both huge chains, right? With a lot of resources and a lot of infrastructure uh, and ability to adapt. Does this apply in the same way to smaller retailers with less resources, less physical space, uh, less time and energy often to adapt to these massive changes? Are they facing the same issues around customer perception and facility efficiency? What are y'all's thoughts there? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead, Kyle. Yeah, well, yeah, I would say uh, that they're facing, regardless of the size of the box, they're facing the same challenges. I think if you look across the various verticals uh, between restaurant, grocery, and retail, um, they're all challenged with uh, similar uh, similar obstacles, and it doesn't really make a difference on the size of the box. Um, you know, they're they're definitely hit with the same types of challenges, and you know, I would say that the you know they're a little bit smaller, so there's uh, less customer flow, probably less occupancy in the locations, less associates. But um, overall, I would I would say they're definitely challenged with with very similar uh, circumstances. Yeah, absolutely agree there. And what's been interesting to watch is how those smaller retailers have redeployed their resources without it really having an impact. Um, what we've seen a lot of is, you know, that for a smaller retailer and a smaller business, that personal touch is extremely important. So they've taken resources that they formerly employed maybe as a breeder, and they've made them a safety steward. So someone that is on hand to distribute masks if a customer doesn't have them, someone who's watching the traffic flow in the store to ensure that social distancing is being maintained, someone that's clicking a clicker to make sure that the max occupancy restrictions are being adhered to. So they've taken the resources that they have, they've redeployed them, and they've made them kind of more somebody who's overseeing the entire experience and environment to ensure, again, that the customer's comfortable and that they feel safe. So I think that's been very effective. All right, and now I want to uh, spend a little time breaking down both of y'all's thoughts on specific key changes to facilities management that uh, have been occurring with both your large clients and your small clients and everyone in between. Uh, this is going to kind of phase in and out of the realm of customer perception. Some of these changes are very focused on that. Some of them are a little more logistical and less uh, front facing, but I think they're all important. So let's jump in. Let's start with safety. This is probably one of the most visible ones. Um, also a point of controversy sometimes for a lot of customers in different states. You've seen back and forth as uh, you know, it's difficult to enforce mask usage and some customers don't wanna use them. And that can be a big point of strain for the retailers themselves. So how are retailers approaching the impact of that very visible front facing change to their customers? Um, how does that intersect with their safety strategy and with their, uh, you know, their, their aesthetic facility management outward kind of, I guess, PR level strategy as well. Mm -hmm. You want to kick in, Nikki? So I think I think that uh, you know overall that uh, um, I think they're we're in front of these they're in front of these requirements. I think that uh, mm -hmm. local and uh, state governments, um, you know, based on what you see on the news, uh, establishing those types of requirements. Um, I mean, even here in Dallas, uh, you can see that, uh, you know, local governments are very vocal about what the expectations are. And I think those are influencing behavioral changes, uh, which makes it a little bit easier for the for the stores to manage. Right. Uh, I think the associates are putting a pretty tough decision to enforce masks. 
Uh, I think they do a good job at making sure that signage is very visible. Um, that uh, you know, when you come into the stores, I've seen it in multiple locations here in Dallas across uh, retailers where they've got those signs very upfront in front of the customers, making sure they know what that requirement is. And even in some that are doing a really good job at providing uh, temporary masks or sanitizing stations to um, you know really create that environment of, of that established cleanliness that's expected in the stores. Yeah, this this is an interesting one because I think initially a lot of the reaction from many of the retailers was to put a security guard out front or to visibly demonstrate signs of security and it's really turned the corner now to where employee employers are giving their employees the training and the tools and the playbooks on how to deal with potentially controversial situations, how to de-escalate um, situations. And I think if there's a positive to take out of a lot of this is that that will help them and, and really help those employees through the rest of their career. They can take those same situations and turn a very negative customer experience into a positive one. So I think many of the things retailers are doing now are going to play out to really help them in the long term. Hmm. How does that intersect with some of the other uh, visible safety changes beyond just masks? Things like plexiglass barriers, floor stickers, contactless payments. Uh, how are those being thought of strategically with uh, customer perception in mind? Yeah, we've uh, a lot of the customers that we have, what I've seen is a, just a redeployment of uh, capital. Uh, so where they might have had some projects that are designated um, or, at, you know, they were going to um, perform, you know, in 2020, you know, a lot of that capital has been reallocated to things, Daniel, like you mentioned, like contactless payment, um, as well as uh, any of any other types of safety measures to make the customers and the associates feel comfortable uh, in those locations. Uh, so I think that uh, capital deployment has been a big adjustment that hit right around April, March, April. And, you know, by the end of the year, I think they're really going to want to force the, the digital payment side. I think that's that's also really been a huge balancing act for retailers and for facilities managers in particular. So you have you know really a couple dynamics in play. You have the capital X, uh, capex funds being diverted, as Kyle had mentioned. You have pressure to reduce opex because your revenues are down, and then you have certainly a lot of pent up demand, especially for stores that were closed. They weren't getting the regular maintenance and, and things that they normally would. So from a customer perception perspective, you have to balance the safety with a store being in disrepair or the perception of the store being in disrepair. So I think facilities managers really right now have to weigh all of those things and they have to keep their pulse at the same time on what the longer term impact of either avoiding spend or spending too much could also have on their facilities. So really tough job for those people right now. It's definitely a balancing act. Yeah, and uh, playing off of what you just said, that uh, sort of visual of your store being in disarray intersects also with inventory adjustments that uh, grocers have had to make, retailers have had to make due to buying behavior and also lack of demand and potentially lack of supply. Is this a visible issue for customers uh, or one that's uh, impacting their perception on the store actively? And if so, how are they and by they, I mean the facilities managers, how are they approaching uh, strategizing around this change in inventory, which can be you know, very front facing? 
Absolutely on that one, I'll jump in here. I think that it's absolutely a visible issue for both the customers and the facilities managers, and it's really emotional. So if you think about it, you know, empty shelves when you walk into a retailer, they can cause everything from fear to impulse buying to aggression in the aisles trying to get the last product. And so operators, you know, store operators really want to control that perception. And that results in space reconfiguration, space repurposing, all of which flows to the facilities manager. Now you have to think about airflow, you have to think about temperature regulation, and even plumbing layouts sometimes can change based on how that space is now being used. So it's a huge impact and it's a trickle down all the way to the actual facilities manager and how they deal with it and respond to it. Absolutely, yeah, and another, you know, what we're seeing is, and I think you're seeing some late adopters into uh, digital buying behaviors. Uh, so, you know, I think merchants are really challenged right now in keeping high velocity SKUs in stock and, um, you know, digital on the buy online pickup in store has increased significantly. Uh, we've seen even with Michael's, you know, them increasing the, uh, the buy online pickup in store stations. Uh, so, you know, running uh, more electrical, more POS systems uh, to be able to accommodate for those customers that are buying online and picking up in store. And, and Kyle, one thing to add to that too, it's also, that's also putting pressure on the company's bottom line. So if you think about when curbside pick, or excuse me, when things like um, pickup in store came into play, the whole goal was to get your customers into the store and have them buy other things on their way to go pick that up. So you found pickup in the back of the store. Now retailers are trying to move that closer to the front of the store so that the customers can minimize contact. So they're putting a lot of, you know, they're, they're hedging their bets on the digital presence and putting a lot of investment there so they can offset that impulse buy that they no longer have. 100% agree. And, you know, one thing that's been impacted too by the lack of SKUs, and I've seen that uh, in shopping in, in local retailers where, you know, that SKU might not be available. Um, you know, I've gone back two to three weeks after and just seeing some some bare peg hooks and some retailers and you know not having those SKUs available for purchase for those customers who are coming in is impacting sales and ultimately sales impact um r m uh, budget operating expense so you know that definitely puts a strain on the facilities managers on you know um, what their budget's going to look like through the end of the year uh, with supply chain being a big piece of making sure they're successful Y'all briefly mentioned this, but I want to just take a second to highlight it again. But uh, there's also the layer of following local and state mandates uh, with safety precautions. Some of them, you know, were taken proactively before there was any um, actual straightforward. Okay, you have to have this signage for your mask. You have to have this kind of protection for your workers. Um, but now there is obviously both the sort of proactive initiative from the stores, as well as very specific guidelines, recommendations from the CDC that uh, uh, retailers and grocers need to be following. Are there any aspects of those guidelines that have been difficult to follow for facility managers? Uh, and how can you recommend retailers stay ahead of these mandates to provide a safe and comfortable experience while still following CDC recommendations? Yeah, so I think I think uh, you know what's made it really challenging is the the variability. Daniel, you made mention that uh, is across uh, local and, and state governments. I mean, the mandates fluctuate; uh, they're up and down, and it makes it very tough to to manage. Um, and I had mentioned earlier about making sure that uh, you know local governments are are really stressing what those requirements are, right? So they're uh, really creating the behaviors. 
um, and really helping the retailers. But, you know, when they bounce up and down, it makes it tough to manage. So I think the facility facility managers as well as the store teams are very, very uh, challenged with uh, just making sure that they're in front of those. I think they've done a really good job at making sure that uh, they understand what those requirements are. But, uh, you know, when they're when they're back and forth a little bit, I think it can make it very challenging. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing you've seen, if you go back to kind of the beginning of when the uh, the situation started to really impact our retailers, everything was evolving. We were learning something new every day. The CDC guidelines were changing. There was a lot of ambiguity. I think what I've seen certainly in the past month is retailers taking a much more decisive stance. So they've made the decision that these are going to be our policies. This is how we're going to operate. And I think that's actually helped probably both the store operators and the facilities managers in that there's clarity and there's actually a structure and a framework that they can work within. Certainly that could potentially have been offset by sales. You know, there may be customers that don't like those mandates and those policies, but you know, I admire the leadership of the retailer for at least taking the stance and taking some of that ambiguity away from their frontline operators. Let's chat uh, shifts in facility spending as well. Not only are budgets tighter, but uh, the money that is there is now being funneled into uh, strategies for cleaning, for safety, for PPE. How is this impacting facility strategy and how are retailers maneuvering new costs and tight budgets that are intersecting at the same time? Yeah, so I'll go back to, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier. You have the competing dynamics of the, the CapEx funds being diverted, the OpEx um, being controlled, and then, um, you know, the pent-up demand that you have from stores being closed. And so I think what's um, the key here really for facilities managers and retailers is that they need to first understand the criticality and the prioritization of the facility spending. So again, back to what's a perception issue versus a safety issue versus something that perhaps can be deferred. But they also um, need to really understand the long-term impact of those shorter-term decisions to control that perception. So, you know, it may sound counterintuitive, but it may actually make more sense for a retailer to put a preventative maintenance program in place now to help, for example, offset trips that would be required to change out HVAC filters to a higher, higher rating for airborne pathogens. So I think there's a lot more weighing and prioritizing and understanding long-term impacts that a facilities manager has to do than they've ever had to do before. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I've seen it uh, on, on both sides. I've, I've seen the R&M um, operating, you know, budgets not be impacted at all. Um, I think that, uh, you know, there's a, a you know, feeling or, um, you know, there's a presence that you need to establish in the locations that, uh, you're all over it, you know, especially with the store teams related to, you know, I've seen um, even some prior priorities change on some different uh, repairs where, you know, a, a broken sink might be a, a seven day call. And, and those are now, you know, critical calls that are four hours because of the hygiene aspect of the, of the location. So um, I do think that there, you know, what I have seen is a lot of those costs in different departments like risk management but there is an indirect impact on the facility spend because of that additional cost that retailers are taking on, but it's a new normal too, right? So I don't, I don't think that, uh, you know, it's something that's going to go away and I think they're finding a way to establish that uh, uh, spend and, and they expect it to come. I think there's uh, also an added pressure around seasonality 
of products and facility challenges that still exist. Uh, you know, we have Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas, Black Friday, of course, uh, coming and uh, approaching much faster than, uh, I don't know, even I imagined. What happened to July, right? Uh, so with all of that in mind as well, what are the classic facility challenges that come with different seasonalities um, and different seasonal uh, aesthetic layouts as well as um, uh, product sourcing and how are these compounded with current customer perception concerns during COVID? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I would say that, uh, you know, we're in the hundred days of what we call the hundred days of summer right now. So from a seasonality perspective, uh, this, you know, these are the, the hundred days that put the most pressure uh, on the, uh, on our customers is making sure that the HVAC units are up and running, the comfortability is there. Um, even, uh, you know, Nikki had mentioned, you know, where we're upgrading to a higher MERV rating on some of the filters to reduce the airborne pathogens uh, in these locations. But, um, you know, it's very challenging right now. And I'd mentioned earlier the comfortability side of it and how uh, the masks are making it even hotter or seem even hotter in stores when associates kind of have to wear those all day long. Um, so I think that's definitely the, the one they're in in the present moment. Uh, especially in in hot states like like the state of Texas that that I'm in, it's uh, you know can be put a lot of pressure on the stores. But we're going to run up on it, Daniel. You mentioned uh, whether it's uh, Halloween, you know, coming up with with Michaels, or um, even coming into Christmas. It seems like you know retailers start setting up for Christmas a, a month earlier every year. So it, you know it'll be here before you know it, like you mentioned, and um, it's going to put added pressure on the stores. It's going to be more uh, customers in locations. And, you know, they're going to be moving a lot of things around. We've done, you know, everything from, you know, supporting Christmas tree aisles where facility managers are having to, to balance, you know, running electrical outlets to, to be sure to, to be able to plug Christmas trees in at a Michael's location. And, you know, it's just uh, it's continued added pressure for them. So it's going to be going to be very, very challenging, uh, you know, through the end of the year. But they're, do they're doing a great job, like like Nikki mentioned earlier. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the, the folks that I talk to on a daily basis that are our partners in these organizations are, are on top of it. They're doing a phenomenal job at, uh, at making sure that, you know, they're very vocal about what they need from us. And, uh, you know, we're, we've established a really good partnership and a rhythm, you know, in this, in what we're calling this. New yeah. And I think uh, to add to that, you know, it goes back to the customer perception, right? I think the unknown for retailers right now as they're planning for Halloween and Christmas and Thanksgiving is how customers are going to respond. You know, how far, how much do we want to celebrate? How much do you really want to put in a store to talk about, you know, the, the festivities and how do they balance that with also in that kind of comfort and security that we also have all of the products that you need to ensure a safe environment in your home. So, you know, we're working closely with the retailers that we work with to be very, very flexible because they may find that the customer response is different than what they anticipated and need to shift configurations and shift space layouts and maybe even pull back some elements that they took out to accommodate the seasonality. So a lot of unknown there, uh, but a lot of, uh, you know, willingness to be flexible and responsive to adjust to that. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how retailers pivot in this this new normal, um, approaching a time when you know they're they're very busy. Um, you know, being in retail for for twelve years, you know, a lot of our profit was driven by the last three months of the year. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how, like I said, how they pivot um, and how they make a sprint to, towards the end of the year and and make sure that uh, and you know there's going to be pressure. It's going to be pressure on the facilities managers and. Uh, and we're here to support them, but it's going to be a challenge. 
last main point that I want to highlight is the service expectations that come from this as well. So there are still maintenance expectations, obviously, that facilities have to deal with, regardless of if there's a pandemic or not. Uh, now these have to be met with a level of safety and cleanliness that uh, maybe wasn't even there before. Not that they weren't being safe or clean, but there's an added layer of expectation now. So in what ways are retailers solving these service maintenance challenges during COVID? Both any new maintenance that they're gonna have to um, add to their repertoire because of COVID, as well as just maintaining the same level of frequency and oversight that they already had. Yeah, so I think this is one of those areas where we're seeing some practices that are being implemented that will have a, a long-term positive impact. Uh, the retailers that we're working with have been very proactive in communicating their expectations around everything from requiring the technicians that we send to their stores to wear face masks, to asking for a contactless signature, to close out the job. So I think the key there, at least for now, has been really being collaborative and solving for the situations that no one could have anticipated, but then also to quickly escalate if the protocol's not followed so that the solution so that it can be addressed, minimize exposure and get the, the customers comfortable again. So, um, you know, that kind of ties to the existing maintenance. Certainly we've seen an increase for additional maintenance, you know, more cleanings, different filters, um, adjusting uh, airflow, there's, there's multiple layers of that. How that's all going to sustain, I don't know. And if it's going to continue, I don't know yet, but definitely seeing a short-term impact there. Yeah, I think there's a there's a perception to, um, you know, we've, we've been paying very, very close attention to our, um, what we call our service level agreements, uh, making sure that we're meeting those expectations of the customers. There's a perception there of, you know, if you've got a critical call, making sure that you're showing up within the, uh, that, uh, that expectation. And, uh, you know, it's, it's important to the store teams. Like Nikki mentioned, you know, with our, what we call our service providers, our partners, uh, you know, they've, they've done a really good job too at adjusting to the new requirements. Um, you know, even as much as temperature checks in, in some locations to, you know, having to walk in and wash your hands before uh, you even start work, you know, having a mask on and, uh, you know, everybody's done a really good job at making sure that uh, the stores feel very comfortable for those, those folks that are coming in their stores to perform those repairs. It's uh, brought some creativity and innovation, you know, so there are situations where in the past it may have been two technicians that were required to complete a job. And so not only to protect the technicians, you know, from being so close to each other, but also to minimize traffic in the stores, we've come up with some pretty unique ways to take care of that same issue that ends up being more cost effective for the customer. So a lot of creativity. All right, Nikki, Kyle, thank you so much for joining us on the video stream today. I want to leave y'all with one last question. How much of an effect do you imagine customer and employee perception will continue to have on facility management moving forward, both mid and eventually post COVID uh, compared to you know, any other classic logistics, sourcing and uh, financial pressures that are already um, influencing the direction of retailers? You want to start, Nikki? I will jump in there. I think that this is something I think a lot about. I think that employee fear and customer fear, it's going to continue to have a significant impact long-term even. I think that there's so many facets to this. Things are evolving, not the least of which is, could this happen again? I think that fear is absolutely out there. So really from my perspective, the key success for the retailers, the facilities managers, consistency in the approach, 
combined with just the flexibility and the agility, need, agility needed to respond. Um, concurrently, you've got to keep a pulse on the cost and the longer-term impact of these short-term decisions. So certainly going to continue to be a very challenging environment for our retailers and our facilities managers, but everything we've seen so far has been very encouraging, and I'm confident that we're all up to the challenge. Yeah, for sure. And I think, uh, you know, while there might be a, a fear of infection, you know, across the U.S., I think the the right, you know, the word is, you know, I was thinking about this last night was, is concern, right? And I think that uh, organizations are focused on doing the right things uh, that are required of them. And overall, facility management is going to have a big part in this. Um, you know, they had, you know, whether it was pre-COVID or post-COVID, um, it's different times. And, and everybody's going to have to adjust to, to what that new normal is. And I think everybody's doing a, a really good job at, uh, at pivoting because there's a need to pivot because, um, you know, we can't have, you know, locations closing down. So um, there's new precedents and they're going to have a, a, a significant impact on facilities management moving forward. All right, Nikki Boone, Kyle Freeman, thank you both so much for joining us on this VIXO video stream. Again, we've been chatting with Nikki Boone, Vice President of Customer Success and Kyle Freeman, Vice President relations both with Vixo. Folks, great getting to chat. And if folks want to find out a little bit more about uh, how Vixo is strategizing and helping clients in this space, where can they go to learn more? They can go to www.vixo.com. Easy enough. Love it. All right, Nikki, Kyle, thanks again. Great getting to chat and looking forward to unpacking this again uh, in the future. Thank you very much. Yeah.